0: All right, guys, we're going to continue today with the whole issue of justification by faith. We're going to talk again from the example of Abraham. And, you know, I really, I really can't stress to you the importance of these lessons. Because so many times we can operate under a deception, that your acceptance with God is based upon what you do. do you understand? So you might be saying, oh yeah, I know I'm saved by faith, but so much of what's communicated in church is almost like this pressure put on you, peer pressure, religious pressure or whatever, that you've got to do certain things in order to be accepted by God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And what he's wanting to tell you is is that your acceptance with God, your your justification before the Lord is not based upon what you do or or, or what you're doing or who you are. And it's not based on anything you do. Do you understand? It's all based on who, folks, Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross for you. So we're going to continue on today. We're going to look specifically where Paul's going to use. Abraham to make the argument that our justification is not by keeping the law, but rather our justification, which is going to be the second part that we're going to look at here, is by having faith in God's promise. Okay? By having faith in God's promise. Now, what's God's promise, folks? Salvation, right? Through Jesus Christ. That's the promise that we need to have faith in, right? That's what saves you. All right? So let's look together. we will look at verses 13 through 17, first of all, uh, concerning the issue of whether or not uh, it's by the law. Look at, look at what he says here. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect because the law brings about wrath for that for where there is no law there is no transgression therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all of the seed not only to those who are of of the law but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. For it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In, in the presence of him who believed God. Who gives life to the dead and who calls those which do not exist as though they did. Okay, so let's look here. We're going to look at the whole issue today about it being not by the law. First thing he's going to stress, it's by the promise. The promise to Abraham and his seed was not through the law. The promise to Abraham and his seed was not through the law. Now, anybody can tell me logically why that would be true? Why is it that the promise that was given to Abraham of his justification and and what was promised to him by God, why is that? Before the law. Why wasn't it of the law? Okay, there was no law yet. Okay, you understand the law was not established, was not given to Moses until 430 years later. Wow, okay. So for anybody to say that Abraham was justified by the law, that's kind of ridiculous, right? You can immediately shoot holes through that and say, well, that law wasn't even around when he was around. That law wasn't even around. So the promise to Abraham and his seed was not through the law. The giving of the promise to Abraham preceded the giving of the law by several centuries. That's what I told you here, by 430 years. The giving of the promise to Abraham preceded the giving of the law by several centuries. So this is why Abraham is a really good example that for all of us here. Do you understand? Abraham and his relationship with, I mean think about it, he talked face to face with God. Did you know what I'm saying? God met with him. And it had nothing to do with whether or not he was keeping what? The law. Because the law, the the law as far as the Mosaic law wasn't around yet. Alright, so now, the promise to Abraham was through the, through righteousness by faith. The promise to Abraham was through, what Paul says here, through righteousness by faith. Okay, so let me just stop for a moment. How do you know you have an inheritance in heaven? Anybody here? How do you know? All right, the Bible tells you, okay. How do you know? How do you know that you have an inheritance in heaven? How do you, little old you sitting in there, either sipping on a coffee or wishing you had something else, how do you know you have an inheritance in heaven? What's that? Okay, the righteousness of God. Okay. I heard something back here. I heard some mumbling. Faith. Faith in what? Yeah, faith in Jesus Christ. Do you understand? You have faith in the promise. You have faith that somebody died and paid your penalty for you. Do you understand? That's how the promise is available to you. The reason why you have an inheritance, a promise of something in the future, is because you have faith that somebody else died for your sin. You don't have to pay it yourself. Do you you understand what I'm saying? That's the difference. Okay, think for a moment. Most people think they're going to make it to heaven because of what? Because of good works. Because they because everybody assumes that their good deeds outweigh their what? Or even their bad deeds aren't bad enough. You know, I'm not an axe murderer, I'm not a pedophile, I'm not this, that, or another, you know. Uh, you know, Osama bin Laden, yeah, but not me, you know, because I'm not that bad. Alright, so, but the problem is, is that that's not the issue. All sin demands a price of death. Period. Little sins, big sins, all sin. And we already talked about in this book that everybody is condemned, right? We've already discussed that. So the issue of salvation is not anything that you can do. So the inheritance you have is because you have faith that somebody else did it for you. See, that's what salvation is. Salvation is realizing that somebody else did it for you, and believing that, and trusting in that. Do you understand? It's trusting in that. It's not just acknowledging it. It's trusting in that. Do you understand? See, see why faith goes one step farther than belief? Faith goes one step farther than belief because you're talking about trusting in it. That's what you're banking on. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what you're banking on is what he did for you. And so what he's saying here is that the promise to Abraham was through the righteousness by faith, by his faith, by his faith in God. Okay? By his faith in God. Now, hey, let me just stop for a moment. Can I, can I encourage you to do something? If you really want to know what it's really like to be a Christian and to live by faith, just read the book of Genesis and look at the life of Abraham. The guy struggled. He, he rested in the promise of God, but he wrestled. I mean, at one point he says to God, can't I, Ishmael be my, be the one God? Can't, can't he be the one? No, 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 no. You need to trust in me for, for someone else. It, it's a good book to, to read. Good example for us because the promise to Abraham was through righteousness by faith. Let's go on now. If Jews could become heirs by keeping the law, faith has no value. Verse 14, look at what he says there. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is of no effect. All right, right. Let's, let's. what's he saying here? He's saying here, look... Righteousness only comes by faith. But if you're of this perspective, if you're a Jew and you think it's because of your keeping the law, well, if you keep the law, that voids out faith. All right, so let's bring it down to our level. And this is something you've got to ask yourself. Because I've had to wrestle with this, okay? You know, I've been a believer now 30 years. In my earlier years as a Christian, I was in an independent Baptist church. Okay, very strict. Alright, you only had to have your, your hair, I remember the preacher doing a message on the, wearing your hair the way they wore it back then. You know what I'm saying? Because they wore it according to the Caesars and the Caesars had their hair short. Well, I saw a few pictures of Caesars, they were bald. Nobody's asking for baldness in church, are they? I've achieved it. Okay, that's good, alright, so. You know, but, so, I mean, so, you, but what happens is, is when you're in that kind of background, and some of you were in that kind of background, you begin to believe that your acceptance with God is based upon what, folks? Yeah, you and what you're doing. Did you understand what I'm saying? You and what you're doing. But you, so what I'm saying is you understand that type of legalism right and you understand the the feelings you understand the feelings of what how you are basically you, you, you whether or not you're doing something makes you feel accepted with God or not all right now here's the problem here's the problem here's what Paul brings out here's what Paul brings out if you're living your life, by doing the right thing, in order for you to be accepted with God, you void faith. You void faith. We say, well, George, I'm still trusting, I'm still trusting in Jesus for my salvation. Really? Because the key component of trusting Him for your salvation is that you trust Him for your total acceptance with God. What you're doing is, is you're exhibiting through your actions something different than faith. You're, di- you're, you're exhibiting the law. This is why Paul would say to the Galatians, let's turn there because this is not a new point here. Oh, George, you're just bringing that out of nowhere. No, no, let's go to Galatians. I want you to look at Galatians because he's, he's telling the Galatians the same thing because they've got people there, Judaizers, who are telling them that they got to do certain things to be accepted with God. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of God to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want you to pervert the gospel of God, of Christ. For if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Literally, the word Greek word there is anathema. The word accursed there is anathema. Literally, you know what the word anathema means? Literally, the hell with you. That's a pretty strong condemnation. Oh, he just cursed. No, I'm just telling you what it means. Okay? Let's go on here. As we have said before... So now we say to you, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what was received, let him now be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. What was going on there? If you go further in the letter, what you're going to realize is they've got these people there, these people who are law keepers, who are telling them, the Gentiles there, who are telling the Galatians, you've got to keep the law in order to be, Truly accepted with God. Folks, how many times have we been told you've got to do certain things in order to be accepted with God? See, if you buy into that, you're buying into what Paul says in Galatians another gospel. And you're and it's a perverted gospel. And Paul in Romans, let's get back to Romans now. Romans is saying to us, listen to us, listen to me, that if you are resting in the law, you void faith. You void faith. Wow. So, so if the Jews could become heirs by keeping the law, faith has no value. Folks, your acceptance with God is not in any way ever based on anything you do. Period. Everybody got that? The moment that you do, it no longer be, it's faith, it becomes what? As he's saying here. Works. And it voids faith. That's the issue. So let's go on here. Keeping the law makes the promise worthless. Keeping the law Paul says here, makes the promise worthless. So notice now the nature of the law. The law produces wrath as a consequence of obedience. The law produces wrath as a consequence of obedience. Now what in the world are you talking about there, George? Does everybody understand, do you ever get irritated that it seems like the police are out and they're just ticketing people? Do you ever get irritated by that? They're just kind of ticketing people. You just feel like, well, they're just out for your money. Well, that's why the law was written. Well, the law was written for safety concerns and everything, too. But primarily, it was written so that, because you ever notice that the law says that those who violate will, what, pay this fine, lose this many points? Blah, blah, blah. You never, the law is never written to say, and those who keep it will be blessed. And they'll have a deduction on their taxes. Have you noticed that the law doesn't say that? for <laughs> president. No, I don't want that. Okay. You don't say. Have you noticed that? Because why? The law expresses to you consequences. Wrath. That's what he's talking about here. The law produces wrath. Because when you break the law, what happens? Wrath. A judicial punishment. A judicial response. That's the point he's making here. The law is going to produce wrath in your life. How is it going to produce wrath in your life? Because the fact of the matter is, listen to me. Can every one of you keep the law perfectly? Well, the person who can keep it perfectly, please stand up and tell us what you're doing. Because you can't. So therefore, every time you violate the law, you have on yourself, before you were saved, the wrath of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have the penalty of death on yourself. So let's go on. Because the, the law reveals our transgression... There are no transgressions without it. Now, let's look exactly what he's saying here. Look with me at verse 15. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. What are you talking about, George? Well, think about this for a moment. What's the speed limit here now, folks? 25 in town. I just noticed on 80... They, they upped it to 70 as a test. Okay, let's see if you can handle it. So that's the law. Now, anybody know what the law, the speed limit is on the Autobahn in Germany? There is no law. So if you're going 120, are you breaking the law in Germany? On the Autobahn, you're okay, but if you're in town, you might be, okay? But on the Autobahn, but if you go 120 here, they're going ahead and take you to the county jail, aren't they? What if you're German? doesn't mean anything, bro. <laughs> Are you going to claim that one? Hello, <laughs> officer. So his whole point is, is that it's the law that exposes what sin is. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are not transgressing unless there's a law to expose it. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? If there's no law, there's no sin. That's the point he's making here. Am I confusing anybody? Do you understand? He's wanting to make an argument here that what the law, what the braces of this is, is simply to show you that the law's purpose is to expose your need for salvation. Do you understand? The law's purpose is to expose that you can't keep it. So now, what does he say here? He's going to talk about the promise. The promise comes by faith so that it might be a result of God's grace. The promise comes by faith. So that it could be a result of grace, not of your works. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, have you ever heard somebody say, well, faith is a work. For you to believe that, that's, that's a work. No, it's not. I have faith in what seems impossible. And because I have faith in what seems impossible, that one man could take my sin. And pay the penalty for my sin. I receive grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? You receive grace because of your faith. Do you understand? It's not a work. It's you're putting your trust in somebody else's effort, not your own. You're putting your trust in the effort of Jesus, satisfying God's wrath on the cross, not your own. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the promise comes by faith so that it might result in, What might be a result of God's grace? Do you understand what it's saying? It's not what you've done. It's not who you are. Not what side of the railroad tracks you grew up on. Do you understand? It has nothing to do with any of that. The promise comes by your faith. So does everybody understand that? So when I talk to people, and I'll say, how do you know you're saved? Well, I was baptized. Wrong answer. How do you know you're saved? I walked an aisle. Wrong answer. How how, how do you know you were saved? Grandma told me. Prayed a prayer with Grandma. Wrong answer. First of all, does everybody understand those are wrong answers? You better understand that. Because what saves you isn't praying a prayer, being baptized, walking an aisle. What saves you is your faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus. So the promise comes by faith so that it might result in God's grace. Because of it, because of it, it's according to grace that the promise is assured to all. Because it is according to grace, the promise is assured to all. So let's just stop for a moment. Who's salvation for? Who's the promise for? Everybody. Does everybody understand that? Everybody. To the people you work with, to the, to the, uh, to the guy sitting in the county jail, to the elite, to the guy in the gutter, it's available to everybody. Why? Because it's purely by grace. Now, doesn't that make sense? If you can't do anything for it, and it's purely by grace to those who have faith, then it's available to who? Everybody. Even, you know what, could Saddam Hussein have gotten saved? Because grace was available to him. Osama bin Laden could have gotten saved. I don't think he did. Why? Why would I say that? Because grace is available to all. Because of the issue of what? Faith. Faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith. It's not by the law, it's according to grace. So Abraham has become the spiritual father to all who believe God. Abraham has become the spiritual father to all who believe God. So Abraham, folks, is your, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here, by faith alone, Abraham is your spiritual father. Does everybody understand that? Abraham is my spiritual father, he's your spiritual father. Why? Because he's the example to us of what the promise comes to. It's by faith, not by works. So let's look now at verse 18 through 25. We're going to look at the second section of our lesson here, where it says that it's by faith in God's promise. Justification is by faith in God's promise. Look with me, verse 18 who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Okay, so what's he saying here? He's trying to tell us again about our justification. It's not by the law. Remember before that, it's not by religious rituals. It's not by your works. It's rather by your trust, your faith in God's promise. That's how you're justified. How do you know you're saved? I believe Jesus died for me and that... His death paid the penalty for my sin and that I will one day be with him and God because of that. That's what salvation is, folks. It is belief in Jesus and what he did for you. That's how you know you're saved. All right, so let's go on. So what is he saying here? All right, so first of all, let's look at Abraham's faith. Abraham believed God in spite of his circumstances that produced no hope. Okay, so listen to me. He was a hundred years old, how many hundred year old dudes do you know, and there's very few of them, are hoping for a baby? Do you know what I'm saying? That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, how many hundred year old men do you know are hoping that they're going to one day produce a male child offspring? At a hundred years old, it's over. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what he's saying here. It's beyond hope now, right? Physically for him, it's beyond hope. But he still had hope. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? At 100, he still had hope. This is the point that he's trying to tell you to understand, help you to understand what faith is. Faith is faith in the promise in spite of circumstances. Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith is faith in the promise, the revealed word of God, in spite of circumstances or hindrances that seem otherwise. So he goes on, Abraham's faith was not weakened by the limitations of their bodies. Would you, at a hundred years old, you're pretty limited, right? His wife was ninety. She's long past childbearing. At ninety, so it describes her as her womb being dead. She's no longer able to have children. So here he is, and here she is. He's a hundred, she's ninety, and there's a there's a hope in a baby. Now, that, that, if, if you heard anybody else in town, if you heard that's the local news from, from Marion Manor, we've got this couple that's been married, and they're still hoping for a baby, everybody in town would be like, eh, hey, hey, yeah, wow, yeah. Nobody would believe it, right? Now, do you understand why they called him Isaac? Isaac means laughter. Because if he, because she did become pregnant, she did. Do you think they were laughing at hundred and one and ninety one when they had the baby? Yeah. So in spite of their physical limitations, his faith wasn't weakened. Here's what I want you to see: Abraham did not allow unbelief to shake his faith in the promise. Paul's telling us here that Abraham did not allow his unbelief to shake. His faith in the promise. All right, let me just stop for a moment. This brings up an interesting point I think everybody, every one of us here needs to grasp. Do you guys doubt? Do you doubt Jesus sometimes? Be honest. And it's okay. Yeah, John the Baptist doubted. Are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? Remember that? He said that from prison. He sent... Messengers to Jesus? Are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? He, He's in the depths of despair and he doubts. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. That's called unbelief. But that unbelief doesn't have to shake you in your trust in the promise. Do you understand? That's what he's saying here. Because did Abraham have unbelief? Did he? Yeah, I I think if you went back you would see why. Because when he had Ishmael, that's a sign of his unbelief. He's looking for the promise to be fulfilled. But then he had Ishmael and you'll see there's an interaction with Abraham and God where he says, he asked God about Ishmael being blessed. And God says to him, no, not the son of a bondwoman. Now where did that come from? From, from, that's a wavering there. We, you will waver, but that does not necessarily mean, this is the point that Paul's making here, It's not necessarily going to shake your faith. It's just the normal things that you wrestle with. See, here's what I'm trying to help you understand. Your faith has to be in the promise, but does that mean that sometimes you're not going to wrestle? No, you're going to wrestle. But you've got to turn back to always, even with the wrestling, turn back to the one thing that you're holding on to, which is what? Your faith in the promise. In spite of. Did you understand what I'm saying? In spite of. This is what Paul's saying here. Look, in fact, let's look at what he says exactly. Because you might be like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, George. Or, I don't know. Or let's look at what the scripture says. Look at what he says here. In spite of unbelief. Look at verse 20. Who did not waver at the promise through unbelief. First of all, through unbelief. Whose unbelief is he talking about there? He's talking about his own unbelief. Abraham's own unbelief. He didn't waver at the promise, even in spite of his own wrestlings. But was strengthened through faith, giving glory to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? He always, even in spite of his own wavering, gave glory to who? God. To God. So, this is what I'm trying to say to you. Even, it's because sometimes you say, well, I don't know if I'm saved because I'm, I've had these doubts. and It's okay. I would say if you don't wrestle with doubts sometimes, as far as your relationship with Christ, I, I've, got, I've got to, ask, maybe you're not defining doubts the same way as I am. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Because there are going to be times when you wonder. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That's only natural. Alright? It's only natural. So let's go on here. Look now. Rather, he was strengthened by faith and gave glory to God. Have you ever wanted to throw in a towel? Let me just stop for a moment. Have you ever faced it so the, the, the pressure was so hard that you just thought about throwing in a towel as far as Jesus is concerned? Anybody ever, don't need to raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? You're gonna nod if you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Why didn't you? Yep, you have nothing left. Faith is what kept you going on. Your faith, that doubt. your faith overcame that doubt. See, what I'm trying to help you understand is, is don't get shaken because you doubt sometimes. Because your faith... First of all, who gave you the faith? God gave you the faith. Your faith will overcome it. You'll be strengthened by your faith. you understand what I'm saying? Abraham was strengthened by his faith, even though he had times of doubting. And believe me, it's there in Genesis, he had times of doubting. But his faith strengthened him, and he carried on. Do you you understand what I'm saying? And he gave God the glory. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to perform what he had promised. And let me just stop for a moment. Do you now understand why? I mean, seriously. So you get this child. You're 100 years old, 101 years old. Your your woman's 91 years old. You have a baby. He gets to a certain age, and God says, "I want you to go to this mountain, I tell you, and I want you to sacrifice him there for you, to me." How many of you would do that? I like to think I would. You'd like to, but I mean, seriously, it's he's the prize. He's the he's the. I mean, seriously. I, Probably not many. He did. Why? Faith. He didn't hesitate to raise his hand to kill him. Why? Many scholars believe that he had faith that God would raise him from the dead. Because this is the child that God promised him. And that from this child he would become the father of what? Many nations. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's faith. Faith. He was fully convinced that God was able to perform what he had promised. Not just with the issue of the child coming, but also with later on. He was convinced. You know, he's convinced. So Abraham's faith in God was accounted to him as righteousness. That's what that word imputed means. You see that in your Bible. What in the world does that mean? Impute, George. It means to account for. It is accounted to you. Righteousness is accounted to you, not because of you, but because of Christ. In Abraham's case, his faith in God was accounted to him as righteousness. When you stand before God, your faith in Jesus is the what accounts you as what? Righteous. So what makes you righteous? Faith. Is there anything you do? No. It's your faith. Alright? So, Abraham's example was given so that it would be an example to us. Do you understand? Paul says when you read in Genesis about the life of Abraham, it was given to you as an example for you. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Not the lying about your wife part. All right? That's not the example to us. Although it is an example, it's a negative example. But his faith, was his, his example of faith was given to us as an example. So, like Abraham, righteousness will be accounted to us through faith in our Savior. All right, now here's what we're going to do next week. Next week, we're going to talk about what the benefits are of this justification. Chapter 5 then moves into a discussion away from how you were justified to now talking about what the benefits are of you being justified. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are benefits that you have in your Christian walk because of your justification. So we're going to talk about that next week.